Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Avatar, the podcast. The podcast. The podcast. We are going through book one, The Legend of Korra. We're almost at the end, and things are super exciting right now. I know. I realized uh, recently I opened up the episodes for season one and went, oh, we have like two more. Oh, okay. It's (laughs) insane. Season one's almost done. I know. Yeah. I was like, oh, we're probably only halfway through. And then we mm-hmm. got to go through book two. And like, oh, we only have like a couple episodes left. Okay. This ain't so bad. We got this. Mm-hmm. This is great. Before we jump into the episode, we do have a couple of five-star written reviews that we're going to read from Apple Podcasts. Yes. Thank you all again for continuing to submit these reviews. We are always playing catch-up, which is a good thing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, our first review today comes from... Uh, Hmm? I hope I'm saying that right. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'm missing the B. Uh, I think it's pronounced Jake, actually. <laughs> I think it's pronounced Jake. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Jake writes, uh, amazing with three exclamation points. I cannot believe how much I love this podcast. I was recommended it by a coworker and I was instantly hooked. I'm a delivery driver for a company that has a song about, about its CEO by Bo Burnham. Gotcha. Never heard of it. Gotcha. Yeah, not never once. Never heard of it. Definitely never not once. dozens of times. No, never. I listened to different podcasts for about 10 hours a day, and I quickly got to the end of the Avatar The Last Airbender podcast from you guys. And I'm so happy I found you late so I can binge all the episodes. Keep up the amazing work, your friendly neighborhood package guy, Jake. And then a bunch of really cute emotes. Uh, Jake also gave his list of his top five characters that he loves. Um, number one, Azula. Number two, Iroh. Number three, Zuko. Number four, Katara. And number five, Momo. Missing someone in that top five there, but you know. What do you mean? Azula's in the first position. Uh, the first spot. Azula. <laughs> I know Azula's your favorite character, Greg. Uh, she's not my least favorite character. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. She's, I would say honestly, she's in the middle for me, which is a hot mm-hmm. take. I understand. But. I don't, I don't hate her. I don't love her. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. She's there. Okay. She's there. But in Jake's She's world, there. she is in the first spot. Favorite and character. Great. And I appreciate that, Jake. Also, yeah. I love hearing everyone who uh, commutes or does delivery driving or does mail delivery. Like just knowing that you spend your day listening to us talking about one of our favorite shows is just, I don't know, it makes my heart warm and squishy feeling. It's nice. I like hearing that. It's very nice. So thank you. The next review comes from Medi underscore Ice. And they write, amazing, catarific. I work long hours at a warehouse. Oh, another one. Another one. And after finding you guys a few weeks ago, listening to this podcast makes me enjoy the hours of work. I love the detail you guys go into and can't wait to finish the Avatar The Last Airbender podcast and start the comics. Yes. Start the comics. (laughs) I was wondering if you guys could talk about slash share your thoughts on Netflix's live action series. It's something I'm looking forward to, and it seems to be faithful to the original. Keep up the angtastic work with three fire emojis. Well, Well. many underscore ice. I have news for you. You probably already watched what the news is, depending on the order in which I edit these, because we just recorded 
our reaction mm -hmm. to the trailer that came out a couple days ago. So be on the lookout for that. YouTube.com slash Avatar the Podcast. Yeah. I won't tell you what we thought. You got to go, go watch the video and go thumbs up it and tell all your friends and subscribe and do all the stuff. Mm -hmm. We hit a thousand subscribers. I know. Oh, my God. I That was such a nice surprise. Greg sent me a screenshot the other day. And we we're both like, woo, we finally got a thousand subscribers. I didn't even. Well, I checked it, but like. Um, one of uh, my buddies in the Discord over my Discord was like, oh, congratulations, over a thousand. I was like, we don't have over a thousand yet. And then I logged in. And I was like, oh, we did. Amazing. So yeah, that was awesome. Thank you all so much, everyone who is going to the YouTube and subscribing there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Also, thank you to all the patrons who are over at Patreon. Yes. Thank you for even listening. And thank you to everyone who left a five-star written review. And we appreciate that you wrote it. Because we can read it. Because that's how it works. <laughs> I we we need to make like merch or something of one day <laughs> of our, our stupid jokes. Yes. One day. One day. Uh okay, let's get right into it. This mm -hmm. is episode 10, book one, The Legend of Korra, uh, Turning the Tides, or as we like to call it. Lynn's sacrifice. Yeah. Uh, this episode was written by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Kanetsko and was directed by Joaquin Dos Santos and Ki Hyun Ryu. We begin this episode with Korra recovering on Air Temple Island, Mako never leaving her side and holding her hand as the Avatar recovers. Asami watches on, realizing that her boyfriend does, in fact, have feelings for another woman. Tenzin checks in on his family and tells the kids that Korra will be okay and apologizes for the fright they had over the whole endeavor. The next morning, Cora is finally starting to feel like herself again as she dines on some delicious food from Pema. Cora tells Tenzin and Lin that Tarlock is actually Yakone's son, which makes sense to the two and sheds light on how he was able to bloodbend without a full moon. Cora then tells the two that she was able to escape because Amon showed up out of nowhere, captured Tarlock, and took away his bending. It is clear to Tenzin that Amon is entering his endgame. In the kitchen, Pema feels the baby kick pretty hard, but tells Asami not to worry, as it's nothing. When Mako enters the kitchen, asking for more hot water for Korra's tea, he is met with hostility from Asami. Pema nervously smiles and leaves to give the two room to talk. Uh, Mako asks if they have something to talk about, and Asami confronts him about his feelings towards Korra. Mako denies the notion, saying that he was nervous because she got abducted by a bloodbender. Asami then reveals that she knows about the kiss between Mako and Korra. Mako tries to not only defuse the situation, but blame his brother by saying, <laughs> Bolin told you, didn't he? And asks if they can work on their relationship later, but Asami doesn't think there will be a later in their relationship. Uh-oh. Out in the courtyard, Tenzin awkwardly asks Lin to watch over his family while he meets with the council. Lynn, of course, kindly agrees while Pema walks in on the two. And there's this moment where Lynn has her hand on Tenzin's shoulders. And Pema is kind of like, what's going on here for like a, a quick second? Yeah, yeah. She, of course, comes out. And I, yes. I like the fact that we're, we're like grouping up the relationship drama. We go from the scene um, with the other characters talking about the relationship drama. And then we come out and we see Tenzin and, uh, and Lynn and Pema. Although you can tell the difference because Pema seems very secure in her relationship with Tenzin. So she had a moment where she's like, ah, and then as we're about to see, um, kind of sort of gets back at Lynn 
Lynn agrees to watch over the kids and Pema takes advantage of the situation and basically shoves Milo in her arms and asks her to bathe him. This is not what Lynn signed on for. <laughs> As she yells at Tenzin, who takes off on Oogie. And Milo shares that he's got a poo really bad. And then I think he poops his pants. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I definitely relate to Lynn in this episode, in this moment, um, because I'm I'm like her. I'm like, ooh, children, little gremlins. Yeah. I'm cool yeah. with being auntie. I don't want any of my own. I mean, I will say this. Mm-hmm. Changing diapers is not as bad as what a lot of media makes it out to be. In my experience, mm-hmm. granted, my daughter maybe just didn't have really gross poops. <laughs> I don't know. I've not changed many diapers before hers in my life. Uh-huh. So I, I was like really expecting to be like Lynn yeah. when, when my kid was born. And it was... It's more gross now, to be honest with you. <laughs> if I'm honest. Yep. I don't want to talk about poop too much, but you know who does like talking about poop and putting in poop jokes? Ki Hyun Ryu. That was the funniest thing from the commentary for this episode is their conversation about how much Ryu wanted to add potty humor into the episode. And they mm-hmm. were always like debating back and forth, like, okay, okay, I will give you two, two poop jokes, okay? Two yes. fart jokes. And then he was always pushing for more. So funny. <laughs> I would expect one of Bryke to be wanting the poop jokes, if I'm being honest. I know. I was kind of surprised by that, but they seem to be on the same page. Oh, by the way, real quick, while mm-hmm. we're on a little poop side tangent, not, this is not relating to poop. Uh, it's quite the opposite. Uh-huh. I listened to the uh, commentary. Yeah. And Joaquin Dos Santos's voice is dreamy. Okay. So I it's read. wonderful. I read the commentary. So I don't know what he sounds like, but that makes me want to go find like an interview or something to hear his his dreamy voice. He sounds like a voice actor. I thought that they just brought on a cast member that Mm -hmm. I couldn't recognize, which was driving me nuts for the longest time. Oh my gosh. Did he miss his calling? I mean, they did talk about voice acting a little bit, Um, but man, what an opportunity. Having a voice like that could have meant... But I guess directing is where his heart is at. You can be a director and have a dreamy voice. There's no rules against that. Exactly, exactly. Anyways, in Republic City, we see the Equalists start to kidnap members of the council disguised as common workers before the meeting. Tenzin is nearly kidnapped, but is able to defend himself from the assault on the roof of City Hall. Charlock's page informs the airbender that all the other council members have been kidnapped by Amon and that the leadership of Republic City is in Tenzin's hands now. As soon as the words come out of their mouth, Republic City erupts as explosions tear through the alleys and streets. Lynn and Team Avatar watch the attack from Air Temple Island. This was a lot. Mm-hmm. This showed me, and actually just the in general across this episode, it showed me just how scary Amon is because of how much pre-planning there was. They are, they are attacking on multiple sides, publicly in the sh- streets, with buildings. Um, in a little bit, we're going to see that they're going to hit the police station. All of those methods of infiltration and attacking would take so much coordination and planning. So like that also shows what a well-oiled machine um, Amon's, I don't know what to call it. Rebellion, rebellion I guess. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. His rebellion is, um, they're on top of it. It, it feels... W- Maybe coup? I don't know. It feels weird to call it a rebellion. Maybe it's because mostly in media, rebellions are seen, at least in the stuff that I watch, as positive mm-hmm. and not for Honorable. evil. Honorable. Ter- terrorist? Terrorist attack? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Um, especially because if you consider Avatar The Last Airbender, the proper series, or the first series, they were their own little rebellion. It, it's actually kind of interesting if you think about that duality between uh, a rebellion for good and one for evil yeah yeah it's interesting it's it's like one of those concepts about um you know the victors right history yes so it's like depending on what side of the of the conflict you're on determines who is the rebellion who is who is the villain well speaking of villains i feel weird calling this individual villain even though he is but just feels weird doesn't feel right Mm -hmm. Uh, in the sky hiroshi is sad as his actions have cost him his family and he has this like really softened expression for a moment. And I, you, I read it as regret the first time I saw it. And then I immediately retracted that thought after the next words out of his mouth. Because mm. um, he, he tells Amon that this is the day that he's dreamed of for so long. Amon interrupts and agrees because today is the day that the equalists claim Republic City as their own. In the rankings of like bad guys, I'd say Hiroshi's maybe an antagonist and Amon's a villain. He's a henchman. He's, he's I mean, to be fair, he is a henchman. He's, yeah. he's one of the upper ranking henchmen because he, you know, has his business and has been able to fund all of the production uh, and manufacturing of the gadgets that they use. Um, but I liked this moment because he is looking at a picture of himself, his late wife, and um, Asami when she was a little girl. And it just really helps drive home the concept of this character had a past and this character is still holding on to those memories of the past. And it really like without any words or exposition showed what happened to his wife affected him. And you're right. He does have a certain kind of expression. I read it as maybe him contemplating the complication of that moment. The fact that he lost his wife, went on this journey to get revenge, but also in the process lost his daughter too. I think it's this mixture of looking forward to what's about to happen, but then also recognizing like all the things that have transpired and that he's lost in the process. As you were talking to, I ADHD brained into a side thought. And uh-huh. If you have ADHD, you, you probably understand this. It's also very interesting how much the story makes us sympathize with uh, bending. Yeah. Now, follow me on this. Everyone's like, oh, this is a dangerous road you're on right now, Greg. I understand. <laughs> Yep. Um, I'm going to shoot my words very carefully. Where we view Amon and his forces as attacking first as being the villains, but th- the equalists don't view that. The equalists view them as being attacked first by benders, by mm-hmm. th- like we saw thugs, we saw gangsters that were benders. And it's very, it's very interesting that like, we're on the side of it and we're being presented the story on this side of it. And we're not really getting the full. Yeah. So like we're, we're getting glimpses of the humanity of the equalists because mm-hmm. they are people at the end of the day. Yeah. They're people who have felt wronged. Yes. And do I agree with their methods? Absolutely not. But like, I, I wonder if this is another case of this is half of a season. They didn't get a full usual avatar. The last Airbender uh. season run. Yeah. And maybe that's where some of the pacing issues were also coming up against, right? Like it would have been maybe resolved a little bit more, see a little more of a mon. Oh man, that would have been, that would have been really interesting. Cause I think one of the best ways to write a villain is to write them as a hero. They are the hero of their own story and they believe in what they believe, what they're doing. Um, and giving them reasoning other than your typical stereotypical, like, you know, 
children's movie. I just want to take over the world because I'm evil. Like Ozai. We're <laughs> 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 like Ozai. Yeah. Um, giving giving a villain reasoning and just making them believe in their mission so much that if they if the roles were flipped and the situation was flipped, they would have made a really good hero, like story-wise. I love that kind of thing. And you're right. It makes me wonder if the series, if the season had been longer, would we have gotten more of the equalist side? Because thinking back, the only really, the only real exposure we've had to their their mindsets is that scene in the park with Cora and the um, the announcer guy who is like, you're you're subjugating us. You're, you know, you're looking down on us. Like all, all that verbiage he said. And she was like, no, I'm not. Like Ben is great. Ben is the greatest thing in the world. Like that's kind of the only conflict that we've seen um, aside from a couple skirmishes here and there. And I and would even have, that's comical too. Yeah. It's yeah. not really deep. Okay. So stay with me. Remember, mm-hmm. <laughs> remember that one show that came out a long time ago. Um, I never watched it, but I heard about it and I liked the concept. It's a show about uh, normal people living in a superhero world who are dealing with the fallout of superhero battles and stuff. And they have to like go about their normal lives and clean up the mess. It's that concept. I don't think it was, I don't think it got good ratings. Um, don't quote me. I just vaguely remember hearing something about it wasn't as great as it could have been. It just, it makes me think of that. Like what kind of stories are happening out in Republic City with normal non-benders? How are their lives impacted by the everyday benders around them? That's the kind of thing that I think would have enhanced the story more. And yeah, maybe yeah. we could have gotten that with a longer a longer season. Granted, we still have three more seasons of Core to go. So maybe they keep on. I, I have a feeling that Amon's just going to be a season, season one baddie, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Vague memories. I think he lasts like a season, season and a half. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have more. I don't know if we'll continue exploring the equalists after this. I couldn't tell you, but... Um, I don't want to know, by the way, don't put it in the comments that, you know, I know, you know, but I don't know. And I want to be surprised. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really would have liked kind of like what Ang did when he went to the fire nation and he got to see what life with the quote unquote enemy was like. Oh, that's another thing. Yeah. Um, I re- this, this show feels different because there is no journeying. Oh, you know, like everyone yeah. is in a melting pot of Republic City. We're not going to different cultures and countries and towns and seeing the different ways of life. I'm wondering if that is partly what makes Cora feel like sterile is not the right word, but like a little bit more one dimensional, if you know static. what I mean. Yeah, a little more static. Yeah. Static is a better word. Yep. Yeah, they don't. They just kind of stay in one place. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really know what the world is like outside of these walls. Yeah. I feel so sheltered like Cora right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but at the end of this episode, we will see mm-hmm. a hint of what is outside of the territory of Republic City. Yes. It's yeah. so exciting. What a, what a way. And, uh, we'll get to it. We'll yes. get to it. Yes. So, Equalists are attacking the city. Mm-hmm. Team Avatar takes a boat to Republic City and finds their Satomobile covered in parking tickets from Cora's parking job from a few episodes back. <laughs> Uh, Mako makes his way to the front seat, but Asami tells him that he should sit in back with Korra. Mako reluctantly does so as Asami aggressively pulls into the street, causing a mild panic with Bolin as she narrowly avoids hitting a car driving by. Korra is beginning to notice the rift forming between Mako and Asami. There is nothing more awkward than being in a friend group with a couple who is fighting 
it's definitely that look that Cora gave them from the backseat. Yes. Like, ah, <laughs> what is happening? There's just so much uh, of my teenage years in this scene uh-huh. directly. Like I was friends with someone who wasn't the best driver. Uh-huh. So like we would have to yell out car whenever there was a car coming. And oh my. It, it wasn't the best driver. So when Bolin did that, it literally sent me back <laughs> decades. Yeah. What was it? it was car. Oh, okay. Car. Okay. No, friend. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So good. Oh, note about the car from the commentary. They talked about this and I thought it was really cute because um, Brian was saying like, he's never been much of a car person, which same Brian, I have never been much of a car person. I like cars who take me from point A to point B. Um, but when they were doing research for the Satomobiles, uh, he came across the Allard, if I'm saying that correctly, A-L-L-A-R-D, which is a British roadster from the 50s. And it looks exactly like the Satomobile that they take off in. Um, he found too, he, do, he was just, he found this car and was like, ooh, that's a nice car. I like the way that looks. And in the process of researching, discovered that a company, a modern company had bought the license and they were remanufacturing uh, these cars. And so he was really tempted to buy one and was just kind of like telling the story being like, I'd never cared about sports cars or convertibles, but here I was wanting to buy one because it just looked so cool. And I got to say, it does. It does have a nice look to it. It does. And that actually, when I was listening to that in the commentary, that kind of got me thinking um, about the modernization of Cora mm. and how it just never like all of these changes. They're a little more acceptable, for lack of a better term, to us because we've read the comics and we kind of saw a bit of that gradient. But mm. like it still felt like a little bit much. And I think part of it is a a lot of people point this out. I, someone said this. I don't remember a couple of you. And I'm so sorry. But the the buzzer for pro bending is very modern, like very like 20, 20th, 21st century buzzer. Yeah. And uh, this car now, right? If this is a car that was de- designed in the 50s and they based it off of that. And we're in the industrial age. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, man. This is making me think a lot more about also what I just said about everything being in one place and there not being like any traveling and experiencing different cultures. I feel like they sort of covered this in the comics, especially with um, Iron Town, with General Old Iron. They touched upon it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They touched on what this industrialization was doing to the bending communities and how people had to travel from far away. But... I also wonder like that, that would have been really cool to explore and maybe the timing wouldn't work out because, you know, Aang died at a certain time period and then Korra was born and grew up. And so like, maybe it wouldn't have worked out, but I just, I can't help but wonder how cool a series would have been to explore that time period. The transition between the more feudal environment and world of After the Last Airbender, something between that and this heavy industrialization. Maybe we'll get it. I mean, they're doing that adult gang or maybe not adult gang, but like the older gang yeah. film. Yeah. So maybe we'll get it then. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but it, it's just the fact that that, that particular Satomobile was based off of a car from the 50s. I was kind of like, oh, maybe that's why. Because they are pulling from further in the future for inspiration than they probably should be. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know, we go from... um ostrich horses, horse-drawn carriages to car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's and, a lot. And they, 
They tried to soften that blow by having a forklift in the comics. Uh, yeah. Which still didn't sit super right with me, still but it was kind of like jokey. A so, yeah. Big jump. Yeah, yeah for mm -hmm. sure. Okay. Well, the rift is forming between Mako and Asami. We're going to shift our focus, actually, and go back to City Hall, where Chief Saikon is trying to provide support to the best of his ability from a war room. And he is very clearly overwhelmed despite maintaining a calm demeanor. Uh, Saikon is glad to see Tenzin walk in as he thought all council members were taken by Amon's forces. Saikon provides the airbender with a situation report and admits that they are spread too thin. Tenzin takes a moment to reflect on this news and tells them that he needs to send a message to the commander of the United Forces. Just as the message is sent, the phone lines go dead and the power goes out as the building is filled with a smoke slash gas. I don't know which one it is. It's one or the other. I'm assuming it's gas because Tenzin shields himself and everyone in the, in the room immediately using his airbending, which for me was yeah. super reminiscent of Katara forming a water bubble in the Serpent's Pass episode as they yes. walked underwater and into safety. Yep, absolutely. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Oh, especially I, I, since it's his mom. It's his mom. He learned it from his mom, maybe. Yeah, I like that. I have a feeling that maybe not so much in their adult life, because I don't think we've we've only seen... Have we seen them interact, Tenzin and Katara? I think in episode yes, one. in episode one, where he's like, um... <laughs> like, uh... Mother? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> whatever they were talking about. Yeah. Um, that was just the one time, which it, it seems like they're really close. It seems like, um, and actually that makes sense because Katara was such a family-oriented person and then Tenzin mm -hmm. is such a family-oriented person. Yeah. And so I think that they, they were probably really close, I would imagine. My headcanon says. I also, just as I was saying that, remembered the existence of his siblings, and I'm looking forward to seeing yeah. them and talking about them. I think one of them's name is Boomy, which I'm very excited about. It is. I don't remember what the other one's name is, but I remember the other one is, I'm not going to tell you who it's voiced by, because we're going to get to it in the episode. I almost mm -hmm. just spilled the beans on that one. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, well, anyways, so as the group leaves the building, they find themselves surrounded by mecha tanks that use giant magnets to subdue the metal benders and place them in a metal bending proof armored vehicle. Tenzin fights off the tanks to the best of his ability, but gets knocked a bit too hard and can only watch from the ground as the metal benders get driven away and the others get captured. As Tenzin loses consciousness, the mecha tanks surround him. Or that planning infiltrated the police headquarters, uh, mm -hmm. adapted. That's a lot of platinum. That's a lot of platinum. <laughs> <laughs> they adapted their mecha tanks to uh, be giant magnets for the metal bender bending police. Mm -hmm. It really, like, if this was a game of chess, it feels like they are getting completely outplayed. Oh, for sure. They're not yeah. seeing these moves coming ahead and being and no. being able to deal with them. Yeah, they're getting blindsided every turn, every step of the way. Oh, no, not the magnets. Not the... That was very funny, though. <laughs> Just... It's it's very wily e. coyote. Yes. To me. <laughs> yes. Like of course they would have come up with big big magnets. Fortunately, Tenzin is rescued by Team Avatar, who throws a freaking car like Fast and the Furious style at the mecha tanks and takes out two of them immediately. And they start using their bending to subdue the rest. 
it's very clear that they've learned from their experience earlier with the tanks and are able to take them all out with relative ease. Mm -hmm. Hiroshi and Amon watch from the sky, and Hiroshi's disgust for Benders really shines here as he cannot stand to watch his daughter fight alongside them. Mm -hmm. Amon tells him that soon this will all be over and he will have his daughter back. From the ground, Team Avatar catches their breath but sees a war balloon slowly approaching Air Temple Island. Yeah, I gotta say, this this moment made me realize like, oh yeah, it's just an island. People can still get to it. It can still be attacked. But for some reason, like I I was picturing and, and thinking Air Temple Island as like impenetrable yeah. this whole time. It was like, oh no, oh no. Uh, <laughs> no, no. There are airbenders there and the future of airbenders are basically on that island and are Tenzin's family and oh no. It always feels untouchable because there's a an understanding. There's a... a societal rule there it's like you don't go there that place is is holy yeah culturally respected um because for the most part i think the whole whole society is on board with airbenders being brought back because i think really the fire nation was the only ones the only ones who had an issue with them Mm -hmm. and aman doesn't give a flying lemur about any of that and it's very interesting actually how indiscriminate he is with his discrimination yeah bending is bending is bending is bending it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that these the airbenders are sworn to a life of peace and Uh and, uh pacifism and and, you know like they only not really pacifism is not the right term but they only really attack when provoked yeah well they are pacifists yeah but like they fight we've been watching tenzin fight (laughs) In self-defense, but still. <laughs> yeah. And also Aang. But like, so it's like a loose pacifism. Cult- culturally, See? historically, they were pacifists. That's probably shifted yes. a little bit in the modern age. I mean, a hundred year war will do that to <laughs> anyone. <laughs> Nothing like a war to shake things up. I understand that joke is inaccurate because there were no airbenders during the 100 year war because Ang was frozen and they all got decimated. I understand, but it ruined the punchline. Okay. Yep. 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 But yes. Yeah. It was very interesting to kind of see there's a societal norm and what happens when that norm gets shaken up and and how, even though we've seen so little in terms of episode counts um, of air temple Island, we got this sense just from that alone and how shattering it is when someone ignores that rule yeah lynn tells pema and the kids to get inside and to remain calm which is the perfect time for a new baby airbender to want to be birthed of course of course (laughs) i gotta pay attention to that exchange where it's like everyone remain calm pema makes a a a sound (laughs) get it together oh never mind you're having a baby okay lynn finds herself knocked down by a mom's lieutenant And as he moves in for the killing blow, Jinora swoops in on an air glider and knocks him away from her father's ex-girlfriend. That's one of my favorite lines in here. This this episode, full of great lines, Uh by the way. Uh Get away from my dad's ex-girlfriend. And she lands on one of the guys. Uh, Milo and Iki join in and manage to take out the rest of the Equalist forces with minimal effort as Lin yells for them to run to safety. Never mind, she says under her breath as Milo basks in the carnage. Oh my God. Okay, so here, here we are again. The fart jokes. Uh, mm-hmm. Ryu's mission of including more potty humor in the show. Apparently, this is where we have that situation where Bryke were like, okay, we'll give you two jokes. <laughs> and I think 
I heard from the commentary that there were more in this scene that got cut out or there were more they were talking about putting in and then Mike and Brian were like, ah, let's, let's, let's stop right here. I think this is yeah. enough. But that was such a funny moment. Milo basically like slow motion, like, yeah. you know, spits. <laughs> the, <laughs> really, Fart really bending all nasty. over the place. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, it was great. Well, Tenzin and Team Avatar make their way back to Air Temple Island after the fight. Tenzin yells at Lin thinking that she let his children fight with her. But Lin tells her old friend that they actually saved her life and that he should be proud and that he taught them well. Tenzin takes a moment to reflect on this and then rushes to Pema's side to meet his new son, whom he names Rohan. Rohan's a good name. It is a good name. It's a very good name. It's a name that comes with meaning to Brian or Mike. I couldn't tell them apart. From listening to their voices per usual. I could at one point. Can't do it anymore. Yeah, I think it was Brian. One of Brian's um, six, seven, eight, nine nephews. Mm -hmm. I forget the number. He has a lot of of nephews. Um, Apparently, one of them is named Rohan. And he chose that name for the kid, but kept it a secret from his sister, waiting for her to watch this episode and to realize. And funnily enough... Um, she watched a couple episodes, was like messaging back and forth, like, oh yeah, great job. You know, love, love the show. Um, and never commented. And so he finally brought it up and she was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The kids told me that, you know, one of the, one of the babies was, uh, was named Rohan. You know, that's very cute. But then she finally watched it a couple of times and she cried every time and sent him a very nice letter, a very nice card. Yeah. Thanking him for, <laughs> for choosing Rohan. It was a very cute story. It was a very nice story. He was, when he was telling it, I could like, I feel like I could hear a smile appear on his face. Yeah, Aww. yeah, it was really cool. Here's another funny anecdote that I I heard from the the commentary. So again, Brian has a friend who is a professor. Apparently, Mike and Brian went to meet this guy in Amsterdam, and in the meeting, um, in the process of the meeting, they met this guy's son. Um, and apparently, this guy's son was the inspiration for Milo. Oh, Mike and Brian later found out that his son farts all the time. and so the professor friend later came back and told them like ah yes you've captured my boy accurately (laughs) (laughs) that's wonderful oh yes what's not wonderful is that there are more airships approaching Mm. near temple island and the family begins to wonder if everything will turn out okay outside tenzin rejoins cora and lynn tenzin tells them that he and his family must flee lynn also tells him that she is going with them, stating that she must protect the last airbenders in the world. And by the way, didn't even occur to me that they're the last airbenders in the world until she said that line. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and the gravity of the situation really hits. That was my first thought when I saw the airships going towards the, the Air, Temp- Air Temple Island. I was like, oh, no, yeah. last airbenders <laughs> in the world. Oh, geez. Yeah. Get them out. That's kind of a bit of a spoiler, isn't it? What? That line. Because now we know that Tenzin's siblings are not airbenders. Oh, true. Yep. Which is interesting because airbenders always have airbenders. Maybe it's that cultural mix now. It's the cultural mix. Yeah. With Aang being an airbender and Katara being a waterbender. But so air nomads only ever mated with themselves. Interesting. That that is just now hitting me. They're nomadic and they did that? That seems counterintuitive interesting or did they can you imagine if the air airbenders are secretly ruthless and they go oh you can't airbend get out (laughs) 
Actually, I was I was just thinking that. I wonder, okay, realistically, there probably yeah. were air nomads who went out and assimilated with different cultures and started families and whatever. It probably just was a little bit more rare because people tended to stay within their nation back in that time. But it would make sense for the airbending children to be raised in the monasteries and the um, with the monks and the nuns because they're teaching them the culture and airbending and everything. So maybe, yeah, maybe there were just scattered airbenders all around. And we kind of saw that in the comics, the one that gutted us emotionally, where traps were laid for airbenders with all of their relics and stuff, um, luring the airbenders in to be killed because I was trying to get rid of all of them. That kind of insinuates that there were different airbenders across the world in different places uh, living their life. Yeah. Oh, I just had a thought. What? So what if they do actually, the air nomads mated or or got married or made love to non-air nomads and those who did not have airbending technically could not be air nomads, but they became spiritual guides and maybe Guru Patik is like DNA scientifically part air nomad he just can't airbend so he can't call himself an air nomad i think there was a fan theory that said that somewhere oh really i I remember hearing a fan theory for that the only thing is mike and brian did confirm in uh, a talk or an interview that all air nomads can bend and if you think about it but an air nomad isn't it's a religion more than a type of person like an earth kingdom member I don't know. It's like, it feels different to me. Yeah. I'm not communicating it effectively. I know that. But like, it just, it feels very not right with Legend of Korra now because Tenzin's siblings are also half Air Nomad. I think I this is where, okay, so what I was getting at with the all of them can bend thing yes. is because, okay, I may have just spoiled myself slightly. It's okay. Oh, no! It's okay. It's okay. I was just curious, um, Aang's kids, were they all benders? Because Tenzin's kids are all benders. Right. They're all airbenders. They're all airbenders. Um, And maybe that's what happens when an airbender, an air nomad. Okay, let's just say airbender because you're right. Air nomad is more cultural. Airbender is more of like the actual bending. If an Mm -hmm. airbender gets married and has children with a non-bender, I think that's where it's always airbending. Because we're seeing that with the kids, you know, Milo, Janora. Right, right. But but my point is, uh, because I definitely got it lost in the weeds there. Um, They say these are the last airbenders in the world. Uh And we know that this is spoilery, but we know that Tenzin has a brother and a sister. Yes. So therefore, you could surmise, assuming that the brother and sister were already being planned for in the series, Mm -hmm. which is also another leap of logic that we have to take. because they. Break, we're assuming that this was only going to be the only season right. at this point. That either his siblings are hiding on the island and only Lynn knows about it, or that they are not airbenders. I'm just, are you are you okay with a mild spoiler? Because we're we're already talking about it. Tenzin's the airbender. What are the, what are his siblings? Uh, when did they show up next book? Right, they show up book two. I think they show up book I two. Think. Yeah. Okay, let's just save it for book two then, and okay. everyone because I because I don't care about being spoiled, mm-hmm. but. But there are a lot of people who do listen to the show and do yes. watch the show and go episode by episode 
having this been a first watch through. And we've, I feel terrible that we are already talking about Boomy and the other sister that I can't remember okay. her name. Okay. She, Kaya. Kaya. It's Kaya. Kaya. Yep. Boomy and Kaya. I did remember her name. Because they named their kids after, yes, after their mom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All I'm saying, though, is logically for me, it would make mm-hmm. sense for two benders to have children and have it just be, you know, bending roulettes. Like, what are they going to be? Who knows? Yeah. But if a airbender and a non-bender get together, the only option is airbending. So it's, and if we pull from that interview with Mike and Brian and they said all air nomads are airbenders, mm-hmm. then it would make sense for Tenzin's all of his kids to be airbenders. Yes. The way that they are because Pema is a non-bender. Yes. Versus Aang, who's an airbender and Katara is a waterbender. Then it's like, okay, are they going to be airbenders? Are they going to be waterbenders? Like we have a couple options there for them to. That's true. It's also entirely possible that they made this rule and they go, well, like a, <laughs> like a medicine, but they go, well. And they got to Cora and they're uh, like, well. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's also possible. Okay. Anyways, we're in the thick of it right now. So let's. Let's see, because these are the last airbenders in the world. So Lynn is going to protect them with her life. Tenzin thanks Lynn and then tells Korra to hide in the meantime until the United Forces arrive in three days. While Korra doesn't want to hide, she understands that she must be patient. You are learning well, Tenzin tells his pupil. The two share a warm embrace before Tenzin takes off with his family and Lynn, leaving Team Avatar and Air Temple Island. The White Lotus sentries tell Team Avatar to run away and that they will hold off the Equalist forces and they comply. While running away, Naga is able to make short work of the lieutenant and Team Avatar are able to escape Air Temple Island without any difficulty. By short work, I mean Naga defeats this menace that's been plaguing Team Avatar with a single swipe. Yep. Wonderful. It was great. (laughs) In the skies, the airships gain on Ugi and the fleeing airbenders. Lin manages to fend off one of the nets, but realizes that these ships need to be taken out. She does manage to catch the cable of one of the nets with her own metal cable. Whatever happens to me, don't turn back, she tells them as she swings onto the first airship, ripping it apart with metal bending. She launches herself over to the second ship, but finds herself captured and rendered unconscious. The airship has a prize, so it turns around and lets Ugi fly away safely. That lady's my hero, Milo says, and Tenzin agrees. Cora and her friends are able to make it safely to shore, where they watch Air Temple Island sadly from the distance. Meanwhile, the island has been completely overrun by Equalist forces. That's not the ending of the episode. If you thought that there was already three endings, guess what? There's the true ending, which is heartbreaking. Lynn is brought directly to Amon, who calmly tells her that if she tells him where the Avatar is hiding, he will let her keep her bending. As the rain pours, Lynn tells the monster standing in front of her that she will not tell him a single thing. Very well, a disappointed Amon walks over to Lynn. And with nobody coming to a rescue, the world becomes a bit quieter as Lynn's bending is taken away forever. Up until he put his hand on her forehead, I was I thinking, know. who's going to come to save her? This can't happen. This can't happen. Tenzin just coming out of the sky like a superhero and yep. just take them all out. Yeah. No. no, that crushed me. I 
am so sad for Lynn. I know. Um, apparently, that that moment was inspired by Cowboy Bebop. Um, yes. The slow motion falling of her of Lynn falling uh, was influenced by uh, a main. Ca- I will not spoil. You know, Cowboy Bebop has been mm-hmm. out forever, but I will not spoil it. A main yes. character's death scene in Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. It was inspired by that. They actually they said that on the commentary, and it was um, the voice of Spike is also the voice of Amon, mm-hmm. and he was like, "I thought so." Oh. <laughs> I, like, I thought that seemed familiar. I had a slightly inappropriate thought during this scene. Just okay. an intrusive comedic thought, in my opinion. What's that? How's she going to get out of her armor now? <laughs> she had to bend that thing on. Oh no, that's even worse. <laughs> she's she's going to have to go back to the the police headquarters and be like, "All right, someone help me." Like, Someone how humiliating. Hell. Do you think she'd do that? Though? Like, if that was tough, tough would not do that. No, she would pry it Toph off. Just of live in that armor forever. <laughs> yeah. We are left with a bit of hope, however, as we see the United Forces on their way to Republic City, led by a young general named Iroh, who looks forward to winning back Republic City together with the Avatar. What is interesting is that we saw earlier that Tenzin wired or messaged. Yeah. General Iroh, not the Avatar. Yeah. And he specifically says the Avatar. So either Tenzin's just forging Korra's signature and everything, or the word of the Avatar would carry more weight than his own word, which, like, in theory works because the Avatar is this, like, big figure, but uh-huh. also she's a new Avatar, kind of. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, she's not, um, like, if it was roku or if it was kiyoshi or like yeah maybe not korok as much as i love him but you know like yang chen like one of them i would understand but like maybe it's because we're seeing Korra with all of her flaws and everything and how much of a teenager she is but it just seems Mm -hmm. like a weird choice for tenzin yeah i had a couple thoughts about that either either it's like he is defaulting to the highest uh power, you know, like for Americans, you know, from the desk of the presidents, like it carries that kind of weight or Mm -hmm. he somehow knew in advance that Cora would be more available to meet with the commander than he would because he would be busy taking care of his family. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, that's better than him just forging. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is actually the only voice acting note that I have for this episode as well, as it's uh-huh. the only new character. Uh-huh. Uh, the voice of General Iroh is none other than Dante Bosco, who we know as yep. Prince Zuko. Yep. Yes. Which I'm uh-huh. on the fence about so far because no one from the original cast of voice actors has come back to play a new character. So yes. to me, when I look away from the screen, it's Zuko on the screen. Zuko's back mm. from the dead. like. I I can't I can't see Dante Bosco's voice as anyone but Zuko right now. And I'm hoping that's going to change, yeah. but also like for some reason the look of General Iroh doesn't match the voice of Dante Bosco oh, slash sure Zuko. Not. I yeah, was expecting something different. Yeah. So, we'll see how much he's in the he's in the show and if we get used to it. He's very broad. Mm-hmm. Iroh. General Iroh. I'm going to start saying General Iroh and everyone's going to know that I'm not talking about it's necessary. Yes. But yeah, he's very broad and he's very tall, it seems. And mm-hmm. then you just hear skinny 16-year-old Zuko's voice <laughs> Hi, coming out Zuko of him. Zuko here. 
Zuko here. Yeah, I was expecting, I was expecting that kind of. Yeah. Um, and and it's no uh, disrespect here. It's no real criticism to Dante Bosco. He's a wonderful voice yes. actor. He's a wonderful actor. Um, he's a great podcast host. No one go yelling at Janet and Dante. You won't believe what Acorn and Greg oh said about because you know what they're going to say. They're going to say who? Who? And then you're going to feel really silly. We love Janet and Dante. We do. Oh man, so much. I especially have gotten a bigger appreciation for Janet Varney specifically from the commentaries. Yeah. Because I've not really seen her in much other than Cora. Mm -hmm. So I'm really appreciating kind of this insight into who she is and, yeah. and how she thinks, at least circa whenever that commentary was recorded. True. Yeah. And the couple episodes that I listened to of their podcast because yep. I stopped because I didn't want to like just turn our podcast into their podcast by accident. Yeah, yeah, no undue influence. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to do that. Yep. So, um, but yeah, like he's a wonderful voice actor. I was hoping that maybe like he would do a little something different than he did with Zuko. Mm -hmm. Like a different maybe, delivery. Yeah, maybe it could be just like that's just a familial thing because mm -hmm. you know, family members do share certain traits, quirks, whatever, patterns yep. of speech, right? Yep. Um, but that's the end. That's it. That's it. That's the episode. Acorn, who's your MVP for the episode? It's got to be Lynn. Of course. You can't think of anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. All right. What is your moral of the episode? <laughs> Play more chess. <laughs> Play more chess. <laughs> Get better at chess. Yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, so much of this episode was based on like the moves and lack of counter moves because they weren't entirely prepared for Amon's onslaught. It kind of felt like they were underestimating him, honestly. Like he was more of yeah. a nuisance than anything, like uh, like a game of whack-a-mole or something versus the incredibly, um, incredibly intelligent, methodical, uh, equipped villain that he really is. Like, of course, he's going to come with an onslaught that will take out the entirety of Republic City and the police force and the uh, Air Temple Island. I mean, we didn't even talk about this, but in the scene with the with Chief Sycon, they mm -hmm. were scrambling because the people they were going to send to respond to situations were already taken out. Yeah, like oh, it was yeah. a methodic breakdown. So anyway, play more chess. Be able to see those those moves coming towards you and be able to counter move as as much as you can. <laughs> Yes, I, I agree. I think the moral of the episode for me is, I feel like we've talked about this in one of the previous episodes, but it, it's really the fact that you can't really control everything. And it's kind of, mm -hmm. I guess, uh, jumping off of what you said as well. You can't really control everything, uh, but what you can control is how you react mm -hmm. to what you can't control. Yeah, because like in a game of chess, you can see yeah. uh, checkmate coming but you can do certain things sometimes to try to i mean maybe chess isn't a great example because there's always a clear winner and a clear loser but the way that you react to what you see coming you're right does matter yeah for sure um all right well that's it that's the whole episode everyone thank you all so so much for hanging out with us today we super appreciate it uh, remember, if you've not already done so, if you want to have your review read live on the show, you can go ahead and leave it over on Apple Podcasts, five-star written review. I want to thank everyone who's been subscribing to the YouTube, uh, mm -hmm. going over to the Patreon, helping, you know, keeping the lights on, so to speak. Uh, everyone who's been finding us on just the regular podcast platforms, and especially everyone who's been leaving really nice comments uh, over on Spotify. We super appreciate it. 
we understand that there's been more of a gap in between episodes. We apologize for that. Life gets in the way. Mental stuff gets in the way. Uh, just know that we're always working towards making content for all of you. And we can we do that, not just on here either. We do it on other places, like <laughs> where, Acorn? Like Twitch. <laughs> Speaking of, if you are done listening to the episode and you want to come hang out with me, you can do so over at twitch.tv slash acornbandits. Um, I am currently going nuts with Minecraft. Um, it's a problem. Not really, <laughs> but maybe. Maybe, I'm, a <laughs> maybe a little bit. <laughs> Um, I was showing Greg my build before our record, and I'm building a Mushroom Kingdom it's from the insane. Mario movie in a survival world, but I'm designing it in creative. And um, yeah, I was showing him my my design. He's like, how long has this been? How long has this taken you? And I'm like, let me see the statistics page. Oh, it's been six days. Um, 144 hours building this thing so far, and I'm like not even done with it. So anyway, mm -hmm. that's what I'm working on. You can come hang out with me on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern. And if you've done that, I just for all of you, I go live right after Acorn. Yep, almost basically, basically <laughs> Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We just finished our playthrough of Alan Wake, Alan Wake's American Nightmare Control, plus all the DLC in Alan Wake 2. It's done. I did the new game plus. It's 100 plus hours wow. of all of that. We're starting up Baldur's Gate 3. Exciting. So if you, you like Baldur's Gate 3, uh, you should hang out because we're starting that up. Actually, when this comes out, we probably would have already started it up. So come hang out there Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, twitch.tv slash booster. Greg. Exciting. With all that, we must leave you now. Sad, I know. But thank you all again. And we'll see you next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the Podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.